McNulty stunning for everyone to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to the Forecast episode 75. Well finally some closure on the season, it's playoffs as Pompey finished 5th on points per game. Joining me on the show today is three of the regular Pompey News Now co-hosts, Rob, Andy and Sam. Lads, it's great to have you on the show. Right, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go to each of you and try and get your reaction basically. So a couple of sentences, Pompey in the playoffs versus Oxford. Rob, how are you feeling? Yeah, thanks, you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, first, first things first, I'd like to say to all the listeners, I hope in the you know the current situation we're all keeping safe, keeping well. Uh, but with regards to the football, I'm excited that Pompey are finally back. It's been a long time, uh, but yeah, it's good. It's good that football's coming back. Nice one, Andy. How are you feeling, mate? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, pretty much echo Rob's sentiments. I think um, in terms of curtailing the season early, this is pretty much the... It was, it was always likely to be this end result, doing it by points per game. Um, I'm quite relieved we've done by unweighted points per game because that means you know we snuck into the playoffs rather than just missing out. Uh, it's obviously not ideal. You feel sorry for Tranmere um, in the situation that they're in. And you feel slightly less sorry for teams like Sunderland and Peterborough. But... Um, I'm quite happy with how things have ended out. It was going to be a push to get into the automatics anyway. And this kind of takes the risk out of it. So um, I'm sure we'll chat about this, but I think these are the most winnable playoffs we've been in for a while and touch wood. But I can honestly see us winning them. I'm going to put it out there early doors. Oh, we're only one minute and a half into the podcast. And Andy's put that Mate, out there. It's four, what is it like three months away from Fratton and all my optimism has come back. It's amazing. You've been saving it up every day. I love it. Sam, how you going, mate? Evening, guys. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just echo what the other two guys have said. I'm just really excited to be uh to be watching Pompey again. I mean, we've we've had the Bundesliga back for a bit, but it's just not the same as watching uh or getting excited for a Pompey game. So yeah, I'm just really excited for whenever these playoff games are. And yeah, I'm a bit nervous for them because it is a really good opportunity that we've kind of stumbled across to get out of the division. Um, it's one that we've got to take, in my opinion, for a number of reasons, which I'm sure we'll get onto later on in the in the show. But yeah, I'm just really excited to be back talking about Pompey actually playing football, as opposed to us all talking about whenever they were uh, the ending of the season, which is, we all kind of knew what was going to happen, um, and it's good it's been sorted out. But it could have been done three weeks ago, in my opinion. But yeah, I'm just excited as well. Yeah, no doubt it could have been sorted out sooner. Um, but you know, that gave us time to talk about other stuff, I suppose. And now we are 
back on track. Um, Sam, you mentioned whenever they're going to be played the playoff matches. Um, we're hearing they should be at the start of July, the first couple of weeks of July, um, and then the final following on later in the month. Final location hasn't been sorted out yet, actually. Um, Andy, would you want to play the games at Wembley like League Two have voted for? Or the final, even? The final? Um, yep. I would say, yeah, I'd agree with the final at Wembley, I think. Um, I would fancy us against any of the other three teams in a neutral venue. Um, having said that, Fratton has been pretty well in the league this season. Fratton has been quite a difficult place to come for for opposing teams. Um, but I think I would back us against yeah any of the other three teams in the playoffs on a, on a 90 minutes in a neutral venue. Obviously, the fact that all of these games in the semis and the final are going to be behind closed doors changes that dynamic a little bit. Um, I think Kenny Jackett came out in the last couple of days and said that we're obviously missing out at Fratton, having that sort of the wall of noise that you'd like to think would be there, especially during playoffs. Um, but I would, I'd, I'd like to see the final in particular being played at Wembley, absolutely. And Rob, do you think it actually matters, that sort of home advantage now that, you know, used to sort of mean something, I suppose, in the playoffs, if you subscribe to that, but there's no fans there. So does it matter our home and away form? Because equally, Pompey's, Home form has been outstanding, but our away form has been pretty poor. So does that level the field a bit? Uh, yeah, you look at uh, obviously other leagues that have come back. So Bundesliga being the prime example with a, a few match weeks under their belts that I think I saw earlier today that 21% of games have been home wins, uh, which is not very many compared to how many you you would probably assume that home advantage plays a part. But I think in the playoffs in League One, I don't know, obviously I'm really disappointed that we can't be there. Obviously, circumstances, it makes sense. Though, uh, it's kind of a bit of a lottery, even more so than the first couple of weeks of the Premier League season will be, because players aren't fully fit yet, fully match fit. Uh, And also, you looked at the Bundesliga, the games were quite slow at the start. Um whereas playoff games are usually quite hard, hard, fast intensity kind of games. And I don't know, it might have an effect, it might not. I think the only way you can properly find out is when you play them. Uh, the fact it is two legs at both teams' home ground, though, I think is good. It kind of retains as much normalcy as possible. Uh, the thing about having the game at Wembley, the final, obviously, if we were to get there, I don't know if I... <laughs> Having Pompey play at Wembley, if we should get there, obviously, and no one being able to be there, it's quite, I don't know, it's quite sad in some ways. Uh, and it will just, it will feel even stranger to hear the the echoes of players shouting in a 90,000-seater stadium. That's, that's going to be the case there. wherever they play, though, Rob. Where would you hold it, then? I don't know. That's the, I don't know what the answer is if it wasn't Wembley, but... It seems, I don't know, it seems uh, odd to be having a, a, a game with no fans in a 90,000-seater stadium. I think you're going to get that echoing, whether you're in a 40,000, 30,000, 50,000-seater stadium. You're going to get echoing at Fratton. I, I wouldn't think it would make that much of a difference, personally, I don't, I guess. but They could they could do what they've done in the uh, the Bundesliga. They've obviously put like uh, surround sound speakers to kind of echo crowd noise, which... When I've watched games, it has I have felt more like it has felt no more normal as opposed to I, I I personally think it's I think it's quite weird when you're listening to all the players and you can hear them shouting and stuff mm. like that. 
I've quite get... liked it though. From a, I like that. From, from having a, you can kind of understand a bit more of the tactics behind. Yeah, it, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah. it kind of makes you watch the game a bit more. I know it sounds weird, but it it makes you focus a little bit more on the actual football happening rather than yeah. the kind of surround sounds. Sam, have you seen anything about what the players have said around the, about the surround sound? Because obviously, for the fans watching it on TV, it does make a big difference. Have you seen any player interviews where they've talked about whether it makes a difference to them or not? No, I haven't actually. I, 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 obviously, I've only really thought about it from a fan, but I could imagine that it could be. But then again, if you're a professional footballer, surely if you're you're kind of listen, you're going to be used to crowd noises normally. But I guess it must be quite it must be quite difficult for players as well. Um, obviously, I've only look, I haven't seen anything, but I've only looked at it from a fan's kind of view. Talking about um, filling stands, it's heard that Pompey had to consider doing that Bundesliga, um, putting cardboard cutouts of fans in the ground. What anyone would jump in on that? <laughs> was it the Was it the AFL where they did that and people got to send in photos they wanted cardboard cutouts out of, and there was literally like Harold Shipman in the um, in the crowd, <laughs> who's like a, a you know a serial killer. And I'm pretty sure there was a, a cutout of Adolf Hitler in the crowd that someone saw on TV. Brilliant. It's it's pretty high risk as a as a way of doing things. I do really like what some clubs have done where they just do a big Zoom call and then you can see the fans. They obviously watch the game on their laptop, but there are loads of screens. Obviously, they're not going to do this for League One if we're being realistic, but I think that's quite a nice way of doing it. Was it the Danish Premier League, I think, did that maybe? Yeah, I think it was Aarhus in the Danish Premier League. You could buy a ticket to a specific block and you'd have you'd be on a zoom call with the other fans in that specific block mm. see um, i love that which would I, be I, cool it, yeah it's not it's not going to be viable for a league one playoff but that would be uh, the optimal yeah i, I think the fact that it, i think the fact there's a playoff game and it is only literally just three games potentially i don't think they're going to be doing anything spectacular for it technology wise but if the, if, if the season had started again it would have been nice for them to kind of do something like that but you never know, might, when the new season comes around, that might be something they look into if fans aren't allowed into the stadiums. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm talking about watching the game, actually. Um, the games, people who don't know, are going to be shown on Sky. There's no intention to show them on iFollow. So either watch it on Sky or you can't watch it. I know you can get a Now TV pass for about 20 quid for a month, which would cover I, both I, of I think them. It, I think you can do a te- it's either a tenner for one game or 20 quid a month, yeah. Yeah, um, so if you want to watch both games, you might as well get the monthly pass. So yeah, exactly. exactly. So that's the only way of tuning in. Um, season tickets as well. Rob, what's the uh, news, mate? Yeah, so you, there's three different options for people with season tickets. Uh, it was you can get a full refund of the value of four twenty-thirds of the season ticket, uh, which covers the four home games that you weren't played, which I believe were Doncaster, Accrington and two others, which I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, that's one of the options. You can either then have that applied as a credit against your account for next season, or you can donate the money to the club. I believe I've got all three options right there. That is right, mate. Spot on. Yeah. Spot on. So you can have it as a credit, have it as money, or donate it to the club if you're feeling really, 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 really generous. Um, okay, let's move on. Oxford guys, they're the playoff opponent. We all sort of knew we we're going to get them after we realised it was going to be an unweighted points per game system. I'll just do a little summary of my thoughts, not to then we'll go around the table because for me they're quite a, a good passing side. Um, they're a team that play quite 
quite short passes. They play good through balls. Um, they play like a 4-3-3 system. It's almost like the sort of system that we or us on the podcast have been talking about potentially playing with a bit of a possession-based football. How do we think we match up against them, Sam? Do you think that we match up well against Oxford or is this a team that we should really struggle against in this playoff round? So I've actually I've written a few things down here because I'm just going to go off the last home games that we've played against them because they're the way we've got the positive results as opposed to away games at their place where we haven't usually come out on top. Um, so obviously last season we played and we won 4-1. That was towards the start of the season. Um, and you mentioned there they, they are a passing side. They're managed, well, Carl Robinson's quite stubborn in the way he likes to play, you know, get it on the floor, play out. But that 4-1 last season, we we kind of picked them apart from their, it was their own undoing, you know, them trying to play out every time, picking it off, and then Lowe and Curtis just kind of just tearing them apart, really. So if they're going to do that, if they're going to play like that, and with the kind of speed we've got going forward, I do think they are quite a good match for Pompey to kind of go in and, and get a result against them. Also, the game this season, um, when we, the, the home game this season, the one all. I actually I thought it was one of our better performances to date at that like that that moment, um, and we were very, we all were unfortunate to like they got a late Matty Taylor equalised, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I think I think we were quite unfortunate to not win that game. I thought we looked the better side. The the issue I'll have is when we go to there again. We mentioned earlier about playing home and away. How it's going to be? Will it be? A, is it that going to be an advantage disadvantage? But. I, I'm just going off when we've played at their place recently. We've, we haven't looked good at all. We've really struggled to get anything going and they've, they've kind of dominated us all over the pitch. So it will be, I feel like the home game, we must go in and get a result um, if we're going to stand a chance. Uh, I'm not 100% confident. That's just because Pompey in the playoffs and I've been too, I've been for, for my, for my short, well, for my, my, my young years, I've experienced quite a lot of Pompey playoff pain. So I, um, I kind of want, I'm hoping it's going to be different. I have got a feeling, with, I'm with Andy, I have got a feeling that it could be, you know, everyone's expecting it to be typical Pompey and we throw it away. But I have got a feeling, you know, you, if we get to Wembley, I feel we do it. Um, it's just it's just about getting past Oxford. But the home game's crucial for me. And if we can get them on the break with Harness, Curtis, providing their fit, um, I feel they could cause them a lot of damage. I mean, Oxford do concede quite a lot of goals on the break, statistically, on the counter-attack. Yeah, um, yeah. Is Kenny Jacket going to try and play into this, Rob, and sit back and soak the pressure up? And Oxford statistically aren't good in the air either at the back, apart from Dickey. So can you see Kenny Jacket thinking, right, if we sit back and play the ball out on the counter-attack and try and grab a goal, is he going to play that negatively? I think... I think yeah, I'm oh, sorry, sorry, Rob, you go. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, I think definitely uh, you look at Jacket's tactics in the playoffs last year... I think that's what he tried to do at Sunderland uh, and tried to soak it up, soak it up and try and nick something uh, and then kind of beat them at home because Sunderland were a good side last year. Um, And I think it's probably a similar ploy against Oxford. uh, Only this way, either the legs the other way around, so we're at home first leg this time. Um, I think... I agree with Sam about we need to get a positive result at home. Um, but I also think Oxford are the biggest challenge in the playoffs. I think if we beat Oxford, I can see us overcoming Fleetwood or Wickham. 
What, uh, I want to know, what I want to know, Rob, is will Kenny Jackett play that sit-back football? Will he play on that counter-attack, even though what? it didn't work last last uh, last year against Sunderland? Are we going to see a repeat? I'd like to say he wouldn't, but I think he will probably revert to type and, and do that. Uh, because our success a lot of the time this season, you know, towards the, the, the latter end of the, ended up being 35 games this season, um, was through a kind of more high press, get on the front foot with players like Cannon and Curtis and Harness uh, and Williams really dominating the front, uh, their defenders. But I think with this extended layoff, I think that we might end up playing a more low-risk strategy against Oxford, at least for the start, say the first half an hour, to not go 2-0 down in the first leg at home in that half an hour. Um, because Oxford are a very good side in this league. Um, and like you said previously, Carl Robinson, a stubborn manager, he played, his team's played good football. Um, and it will be a tough, tough challenge. Andy, how can you see us setting up? Can you see us actually... I really want to think that Kenny Jackett's going to go, right, this time round, we've got the home tie first. We're going to need to do- get ourselves on the front foot. We'll play that high press like we did when Sunderland came down against us at Fratton Park. We'll push them. We'll try try and get a, you know, try and get a win, go for it, score some goals. Andy, is he going to, is Kenny Jackett going to do what I want him to do? Is he going to go out on the front foot and try and win the game by outscoring Oxford? I sincerely hope so. I like, I mean, what Rob has just said there about, being at home and then spending the first 30 minutes just making sure you don't go two goals down. I really would struggle with that sort of mentality. That that sort of mentality it just screams of, okay, I've accepted that Oxford are going to start faster than us. Therefore, we just need to get through the first 30 and build into the game. And in a two-legged tie where you're, you've got home and away legs, you can't afford to spend a third of your home leg just trying to avoid conceding you know, goals early on. Um, I'm not saying I'd I say, agree with what. No, no, I know, I know you're not. Mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I got that. Um, but I think the the sign of, I mean, if we look back to the playoffs last year with Sunderland, um, I'd rather not look back. But if we do, um, the sign of, well, they say the sign of madness is doing the same thing more than once and expecting different results. And the way that we lined up in that second leg, particularly at Fratton against Sunderland last year, it was one of the least enjoyable ninety minutes of football I can remember having at Fratton for a good few years. Um, and you'd very you have to give Kenny Jackett credit in advance that he would have learned from that and would change change things. Um, I do think Oxford are a team we can get at. If you look at um, the the one away game, we well we obviously didn't have them in the league this year away, but we had them in whatever trophy it was, the Checker Trade or Leasing dot com or whatever they're calling it. And in that game, Alex Bass had a there was sort of his breakthrough game breakthrough game for Pompey that was where he had an absolute worldie of a ninety minutes. Um, but we genuinely did get at them. And they if you look at the lineup they played in that, they were playing, they had um, eight of their first 11 league players starting that game, whereas Pompey had quite a youthful team out. So we had players like Hancock, Rue, uh, Lethbridge started, Maloney played. We had quite a young team out. And the players we had out really did get at them and put pressure on their back four. So that it was that game where Cannon was playing centre attack in mid. And I remember that every time he got the ball and ran at their their back four, they looked so vulnerable when someone was running at them. So I do think they're a team that if we can get at them early on and 
as uh, as Rob just said, have that high high intensity, slightly high line, and try and put pressure on early doors. I do think they could be vulnerable. Um, it's one of those where having the home leg first, I think, is a, a massive advantage. If we can do what we did at, um, at the Kassam earlier this season and put, you know, try and put pressure on early doors and get, you know, get ahead of the game within in the first ninety minutes and almost kill off the tie in the first in the first leg, then obviously that's that's the dream situation. And I do think that Oxford are a team that that is a possibility with if we line up correctly and they, you know, start fast after three months without any games. When we say line up correctly, that's, a, that's an interesting point. And I suppose, Sam, you know, I was talking the last couple of episodes with Freddie and Proudy about how I quite like Marcus Harness um, to play on the on the right wing. Do you think starting Marcus Harness on the right will be a show of him, Kenny Jacket, going for it if he does that? Or, you know, is there anyone in particular you want to see in the lineup? Um, I don't know. If, I, I'm just thinking of one person. That's Andy Cannon, personally. I, I think he's got to start um, just on his performance throughout the whole season. And as Andy just mentioned, like at the first 10 minutes, 10 to 10 to 30 minutes in the game at Fratton Park, you'd want us to be pressing them, trying to get at them because they're probably a team that enjoy time on the ball to pick their passes. And if you've got Cannon, Williams, Harness, Curtis pressing from the front, some of the pressing that Andy Cannon does, it just, the amount of ground he covers, especially in that kind of number 10 role, like harassing defenders, I don't, I don't think Oxford's players, after a few months off, are they? You've got to remember the level they're at as well. They are League One footballers. Are they going to be able to handle that as well? That that's the way we've got to go for me. And as Andy said, you've got to get that. Ideally, get the game done in the first leg because I can't trust Pompey's away form. I don't think anyone can. But yeah, for me, for me, it'd be Andy Can Andy Cannon that um that is the the main player as as long as he's fit. And obviously, how a player's going to react to having three months off, etc. But I'd say the high press at the start, try and win the ball high at the pitch, put pressure on them, harass them, and then just see how they react to it. And then that that would be the game plan for me. Obviously, Harness, Williams, that's kind of a toss-up there. Um, obviously, Williams got the energy, but then Harness does just have good quality on the ball, good first touch. That's, yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to pick between them two, but Andy Cannon would be the one for me who's got to start. No, it's a good shout, definitely, Andy Cannon. We need him in the middle, but I suppose the question really then comes to me, if you've got Cannon in the middle, um, I think Naylor's a deadlock to start in the, in the centre as well. I think we can all agree. The The next spot ends up for grabs, really, isn't it, Rob? And you've got you've got Close there, uh, or you've got McGeehan. Who, who would you favour to start in this game? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one, because obviously you don't know behind the scenes um, who's fit. Uh, at that, who's going to be at that level of fitness without any any games? I don't know if there's a plan to, like some of the Premier League clubs have done, and play behind closed doors friendlies to get that kind of match sharpness back. Um, but then also, I don't know match up wise. I definitely I think McGeehan is a better player than Close, um, and he kind of fits in that system. Well, he's kind of a combative midfielder. Who actually who puts his foot in and wins tack wins hard tackles, uh, whereas close is a bit more of a I, I don't know if the term is rhythm player, but he kind of he gets the ball, passes it off to the winger, gets it back again, passes it to to Cannon, you know, and when he makes a tackle, he doesn't ever go in that hard. It's usually just like a he just puts his foot in, just puts his foot in on the ball, uh, 
where I think McGeehan in a game like this, it needs to be a bit more high intensity. I think I'd probably select him. But another kind of selection dilemma is, do you go two up front and do you play Harrison and Marquise? Because there are certain times where Jacket's done that. It hasn't necessarily uh, worked in the same way that having Cannon behind Marquise or Harrison has done. But there's there's a few headaches, which is good in some ways because it's better to have those selection dilemmas than not, I think. Can um, I just ask you a question about close quickly? You mentioned close there. Um, yeah. Would you feel like a, the atmosphere like this, there being no players in the, no, uh, no fans in the ground, would you feel that maybe suit him better? Because obviously he does get a lot of people on his back sometimes. I feel, I'm just wondering if, if it being a kind of a less intense atmosphere, maybe that give more confidence for Ben Close to kind of go out and thrive because we do see the crowd get on his back and he kind of just kind of uh, it disappears a little bit but could you see maybe a, a, a ground with no fans in it where technically he's a very good footballer I'm just wondering if he could maybe go out there and really express himself definitely yeah I, I, he, he is a good player I'm not I'm not disputing that um, and I, I get your point about the kind of less intense atmosphere maybe you know one of those tackles that McGinn would have put in uh, stopping an attack and launching a counter-attack would have got the crowd up. But obviously, crowd not being there. Um, maybe a, a Ben Close kind of player. Maybe. I, I don't know. Like with a lot of things at the moment, not just in, in football, which kind of don't really, really know the answer necessarily. Uh, mm. But I think there's there's strong arguments either way for Close or, or McGinn. Um, but one thing that I do think is pretty much set is the back four. Um, I don't one second, think... Rob, we'll come on to that. Andy, I want to just pick up on something Rob said, and that was go four four two. Um Would you want to see Kenny Jacket put two strikers on and go for it like that? Or do you... I mean, I'm personally not a fan of seeing Pompey play four four two. In my opinion, it, it doesn't work for us, um, and it hasn't worked when he's changed it up. But I'd like to hear what you want to say. Yeah, I think for me, because of... I mean, even even if you don't look at the track record where we have gone to four four two in games, or even if you're not looking at you know yeah past performances with it, the fact that there's been now three months away from competitive games, I think to a certain extent we need to revert to what they are most comfortable with, and you need to revert to type to a certain extent. And I don't think incorporating a system that has generally been a second or a third contingency plan. When things have been going wrong, I don't think leading with that is. It's, I don't think it's the high percentage play, personally. Um, I think with talking about the midfielders, there the risk. Okay, it all comes down to what type of football we're playing. One thing that I've noticed with a few games with with McGeehan is that when, if we're trying to play a bit more of that long ball game, there have been games I've watched where he's not actually done anything wrong at all in the game, but has spent most of the time watching the ball fly over his head from centre midfield and then get knocked back the other direction over his head and having very little input on the play. Um, and I feel like close generally drops slightly deeper. He comes and, you know, collects the ball from the back four slightly more than McGeehan does and gives them a, a bit more of a, an option from that respect. So if McGeehan's playing and not dropping deep to collect that ball from the back four, and then the back four are going for that long ball over the top, then there's no point in him being there. But if we're playing it on the on the ground and trying to play more attractive football, then I, I agree that I'd like to see McGeehan and Cannon 
starting. And yeah, I'm I'm with you on the on the four two three one rather than four four two, Hugh. Um, again, purely because I don't think attempting anything not new, but anything that is that we've spent less time doing is I don't think it's the high percentage play at this point. I think you've got to go in and hit the ground running with something that is tried and tested to be successful at home over the course of the season. Because you know, if we try. Let's face it. Our, our home form has been pretty decent all year. Let's be honest. If you look at the big picture, there have been bad thirty-minute spells, bad forty-five-minute spells. You know, we struggled to put ninety together. But if you look at the season's results as a whole, that home form is what's got us to where we are in the table. And I don't think going into a playoff first leg at home where we need to get a result, I think changing anything from the tried and tested and overall successful formula is going to be the way forward there. No, I'm not. I'm with you on that, mate. And I think Kenny Jacket as well, being quite a conservative manager, let's be honest, is not going to change it up and go two up top straight away. But, you know, maybe he will prove you wrong. Um, Sam, when we talk about strikers, though, um, a lot of people want to see Marquis start up front. Um, but do you think that Jacket will start with Marquis? Do you reckon he's much more likely to start with Harrison, which is maybe the safer move up front um, due to the fact he could hold the ball up a bit better? Um, who started? Can anyone remember who started the last game up front, the Fleetwood game? Was it Marquis or? Contrano? Didn't they both play? Didn't Marquis play at number ten? I can't remember. I mean, it's quite a long time. I'm just trying to remember who his kind of last kind of pick was because obviously I'll look it up, Sam. Because he uh, Mar- Marquis started that game. Yeah, because sometimes he kind of go on like streaks of starting a certain striker and then start the other one for a bit. Um, I mean. Marquis, when he when we signed him, I was very excited, obviously, because we all we all know what he's like in this division. I mean, 14 goals he's got isn't a bad return. Um, and, he, and he does kind of press. He does ha- like hassle defenders. I just think it's, it's, it depends on the way we're going to play. Are we going to play on the floor which, and try and get it into his feet, which we haven't done all year? Um, we haven't played to his strengths. In, in my opinion, we haven't played to his strengths at all all season, which is why we haven't got as many goals as we could have got out of him. Um, if we're going to go for the, the kind of more direct route, which we have been, which we kind of done for the most of the season, especially away from home, then I would be more inclined to play Harrison because I think Harrison's had good good moments in the season. Um, he's had games where I thought he's been excellent, um, and he's completely made it a really hard time for some, some of the defenders, especially. Um, I'm trying, there was one game at home I can't can't quite remember. It was near the start of the season where I thought he was he was phenomenal. I'm trying to remember which game it was, but he just wouldn't. He, he just didn't give the defenders a moment's peace. Um, so I'd be more inclined to start Harrison just because I feel he can he adds more to the team compared to Marquis. But then again, if we're if we're going to get the ball on the floor, especially at home, and try and try and play into um play into the play into his feet, get it out wide, get the ball in the box, then I mean Marquis w- wouldn't be a bad shout. Um, again, another thing to take into consideration is how they're going to who's who's fitter at the moment, who's kind of who's going to come back fitter and who's going to be more sharp going into the game because. As Andy said, I think it's got to be whatever's your best option right now for this particular game. Um, not known kind of like long term, anything like that. Just looking at this game in particular and who's more fit to go and to go and perform in that kind of in that role. So, well, it looks like Harrison started. Yeah, I was going to say I should, I should correct yeah. myself. I, I swear I remember it being Marquis, but I just had a look as well. Yeah, so it was Harrison started, and Marquis came on in number ten in the second half. Yeah, um, so he, he took McGeehan off basically and shifted Cannon round, didn't he? So um, that's what he did, and put him in on, put Marquis on at ten basically, and shifted Cannon back into McGeehan's role rather than playing as a natural ten. So um, yeah, okay, let's talk about the defence, Rob. Um, you had a point there on on the defence. You think you know how it's going to be, but 
you never know, I suppose. But I think we can all fairly say we think it's going to be Seddon, Burgess, Raggett um, and James Bolton on the right. Does anyone disagree with that? The only kind of option, I guess, would be McCrory at right back as well. Um, but again, that's one of those things. You, McCrory has done fairly well at right back when he's played. That's not his normal position, but he's the times I've seen him play in midfield, he's not done any better than than Close McGeehan or, or Naylor has. Um, so I think right back is that position where it's open. But Bolton did impress towards the end of the uh, the season when we were playing. You know, he played really well at centre-half against Arsenal as well, Bolton. He's kind of coming to his own a little bit more. Uh, obviously had a not a brilliant start having you know, got injured at the start of the season and had to fight his way back to fitness. Um, but I think that's the only, defensive-wise, the only kind of selection dilemma of McCrory or, or Bolton. They're both solidly one centre-half, uh, right-back, sorry. No, completely, I think. I think Bolton actually played centre-back in the last game against Fleet when I saw as well. I was looking up the um, the other lineup as well. So I think he's he's worked his way back into Kenny Jacket's trust as well. And I think I expect him to play it right back. Is there a way that our centre-backs in particular with Burgess and, and Raggett should be looking to play against Oxford? Because we all know, we're going to come on to them in a minute, but they've, they've got a pretty potent attack force. And I think we'll, we'll highlight Matty Taylor in a minute as one of those strikers. But... Do we feel that they can just kick the ground running again? Because they were in such good form, weren't they, Andy? That um, I just, I'm just hoping we can carry that on with the two centre backs. You got any doubts? Um, I wouldn't say we've got any doubts. No, I'm, I'm quite relieved that the playoff games are slightly further away than we thought. Because originally we thought they were going to be in the second half of June, but now it sounds like they're going to be in the first half of July. Um, and yeah, it's all, it's all going to come down to things that at the moment we don't have insight to as fans in terms of what's happening on the training ground and how they're settling back into that relationship. Because as you say, they were starting to hit form and looking like a really solid centre-back pairing um, towards the latter stages of the season. In particular, Raggett hit some some really quite good form um, compared to some of the flack he'd been getting earlier in the season from people. Um, so yeah, you've just got to trust the process that you'd imagine that a large proportion of what the back four will be doing at the moment is going to be drill based and you know you, all the training in the world you want to do at home in your back garden or in you know in social isolation social isolation but keeping a line as a back four you, you can't really rehearse that without the rest of the back four there or when you're by yourself so I imagine they'll be doing mostly drill based activities to to get that back into their head but I think you've just yeah you've got to trust the process and that we've got no reason to doubt that they'll be able to do that. So I, I yeah I see no reason in worrying or or really thinking about the potential for it to all go wrong. You've got to trust the process that they're professional footballers being professionally trained right now, and that they'll be able to hit the ground running when the whist- when the first whistle goes in about what three weeks time. Yeah, I think a point to make as well is that Oxford have the joint second best attack in League One. The only the only other the only team that scored more goals than them was Peterborough. So they're good going forwards, and they only conceded one more goal than us. Uh, we conceded thirty six. They've conceded thirty seven in the thirty five games that both teams have played. So I think they're 
you know, yeah, our, our back four will have their work cut out, but we have a good defence and we're unbeaten at home all season uh, in the league. So obviously playoffs form does kind of go out the window a little bit. This whole three month layoff as well, form will definitely go out the window. Uh, but as Andy said, kind of trusting the, the process and the training that they'll be doing over the next kind of three weeks that they're ready to go. I will say one thing as well. I think, as you mentioned there, that they've got a good attack. Well, they've scored a lot of goals. I think whichever, I think this, this game will be decided on, on each defence, in my opinion. Because um, I saw, I read an article, it got posted on, it was about the, the stats with to do with Oxford and, and to do with us as well. And, and we, have, we have a hell of a lot of shots that we, we haven't talked about yet. Pompey do have a lot of shots on goal. Not necessarily all from good good areas, but we we do we do create a lot of chances, even though it might not seem like it. But statistically, it says we do. So for me, this game is decided on which which team defends better because, as you said, they've got a lot of they've got a lot of ammunition going forward. But as do we. So it, whichever whichever set of defenders really really stands up, I think that's that's going to be going to be what wins the tie. But going into the form we've had with the, the back four, they have looked more solid. And I've been really impressed with Bolton up until the season got curtailed. I, I honestly thought he was really coming to his own. So hopefully that that's a good sign for Pompey that they can kind of kick on from where they left off. No, completely. Um, I, I sort of agree with you, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate and say, um, Andy, we haven't even mentioned him yet, but Ronan Curtis, how important is he going to be down the left alongside Steve Seddon? Um, if, the, if he's not firing or... He's got a niggle, and you know, and he's playing slow. Is that is is one player going to be that important to us if Ronan's not playing well, or and Steve Sedenick as well? Um, yeah, I think the the, the link up play between Sedden and Curtis has obviously been one of the the key things that's led to our success in a lot of games. They've sort of got on each other's wavelengths very quickly uh, after Sedden joined. Um, personally, I think this sort of this sort of um, winner-takes-all, essentially, coming back from a long break for two massive semi-final games and then hopefully a massive final game, that is where I'd imagine Curtis to come into his own. Um, when the, the times when he's struggled to make an impact this season has generally been when he started to look a bit leggy um, and we've had a lot of games in a short space of time and you can tell that he's slightly fatigued. Um, so if he's coming in fresh-legged, into a tie like this. I, I honestly think it's where he'd come into his own. Um, and again, I think I'm trying to look on, you know, the positive, the, the, just, yeah, the more positive side of things. So you ask whether or not one person not turning up could really cost the team the, the tie. But I'd look at it the other way and say that it's going to take realistically one or two moments of, of like brilliance or individual, just a special moment that are going to decide the tie. Cause let's face it, the, the league table on points per game and as a whole was ridiculously, you know, closely packed together. So there's not much between the two teams. So, I mean, I'd look at it as Ronan Curtis is one of those players in our team that you'd say can do something special. He's got a couple of goals in the cup this year that were just sort of out of nothing, cutting inside and, you know, just for want of a better phrase, just smashing it in from outside the area with decent finishes. Um, so I back him as one of those players that, would rise to the occasion and could potentially be that that sort of X factor that that can win the tie, you know, pretty much single handedly if the rest of the team just do their job solidly. 
but at the same time, I suppose it could just bounce off Naylor's knee without him looking from a corner. I, I legit do not care how it goes in. I, yeah. I, I could not care less if uh, if it gets us through the tie. I doubt he does either. No, I don't, I don't think anyone would care as <laughs> long as the ball goes in the back of the net. But um, all right, let's have a look at Oxford. What I'm going to do is we'll just go around and uh, talk about one player to watch. Sam, I know we actually spoke before and we have the, Sam, the same player, the Sam player, the same player, mate. So <laughs> I'll leave that one to you to go first. So um, Sam, do you want to just talk us through your player to watch from Oxford? So yeah, I'll, I'll go through uh, Cameron Brannigan, uh, number eight, combative midfielder. Got numerous championship clubs after him. I know I've seen rumours of Leeds, West Brom. You know, there are all a lot of clubs looking at him. Um, for me, he's probably... I know, I know we've been linked with him in the past as well. Um, for me, he's probably one of the best midfielders in the league. Can Kind of all-round game, going forward, going back, can score a goal, combative, get stuck in. Um, and he's kind of just that kind of the heart of their midfield and energy, if you like. Um so for me, he's the player to watch. He's a young player as well, which is why why he's got clubs after him because of his age. He's got a lot of potential to grow. Um, so yeah, for me, for me, that's the player to watch out for. Obviously, got a lot going forward, but he's the kind of one who supplies it, who keeps them going in midfield. And from what I've remembered, he's been a kind of standout player whenever I've watched them. Uh, and I'm sure he will go places if they don't get promoted this season. Yeah, it's not often in this league you get a player who is. Um, you know, a centre midfielder who's also a defensive midfielder who's got seven goals, seven assists um, in all competitions this season for him. But it's not just his his goals or whatever that really count, is it? It's the fact that he plays a lot of key passes that lead to goals um, for Oxford as well. So, yeah, really dangerous player. Um, Andy, kick us off. Who you got? Uh, so I've picked out Matty Taylor. So he's going to be playing up top. Uh, he's the top scorer this season for Oxford. Um one of his big strengths is sort of the the chances to goals ratio. So he's pretty clinical when he does get a chance in front of goal. Um, I think my concern with him at the moment is he was he was on loan from Bristol City at Oxford and they've extended the loan for the playoffs, but he's been re- released by Bristol City. So basically, man's got a point to prove. Um, so that would be my my slight concern is he's going to be trying to put himself essentially in a shop window right now. I don't know what the odds are of of him going to Oxford long-term. You, you wouldn't think he'd drop down a division if they don't go up. Potentially, he could go there if they win the playoffs. Um, but yeah, he's a, a good header of the ball, clinical finisher. And as I say, he's their top scorer for the season. I th- off the top of my head, this could be wrong. I think he scored like 15-plus uh, with some assists as well. So he's going to be the main threat from inside the box, I'd imagine. And as I say, yeah, players with a point to prove are always going to be a bit of a concern on the big stage like this when they know that, you know, the entire country's watching. It's a chance to make a name for yourself. Yeah, exactly. 17 goals in all competitions, apparently, for Matty Taylor. Um, as you say, great in the air, um, good finisher. And I think we'll have to mark him pretty. Christian Burgess, mate, sort him out. That's all I can say. Um, Rob, who's your player to look at? Uh, yes, similar kind of theme to Andy, uh, another forward player for Oxford. You've got um, Joe, uh, James, sorry, James Henry. Uh, it kind of plays, when we're talking about their system, they play the 4-3-3. He usually plays on the right. Uh, and where in the league, Taylor's got 13 goals. Uh, Henry's got 12, but he's got nine assists as well. So it's uh, making a lot of contributions. Uh, I'd imagine a few of those assists are to Taylor. Um, they link up quite well. Uh, say so he's, he's a very good kind of he's a bit more experienced uh, he's 31 
you know, he's been around a little bit. He, um, I don't know if he has played in the championship. He might have done previously. I know he was at Millwall, uh, but he'll want to be one of those key players to get Oxford into the championship. Uh, and he's another player that, if he's playing on the right, Seddon and Curtis are going to have to cover him when they're they're tracking back, um, and watch out for his his delivery and stuff. Um, like like we we've, we've covered previously as well. You know, they're a good side going forwards. Um, I think James is probably another good player to watch. Yeah, massively. They lost um, in that 4-3-3. They lost Tarek Foss, or Fossu, how you pronounce his name. Um, and in the middle, Shandon Baptiste, didn't they, in January to Brentford. I sort of thought that might, you know, kick him a little bit and, and stop them from, from you know, making a big push, but it doesn't seem to. Does anyone know much about the this guy, Nathan Holland, who's played on the right, who's replaced Tarek Foss? He's on loan from West Ham, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know much about him. Any good? Someone want to jump in? Obviously, didn't he score a goal? He scored a goal in the League Cup. Was he the one who scored that really good volley against Newcastle in the League Cup? It was a bit of a wonder goal out of nowhere. Um, but I think he's been quite a good signing for him anyway. That's from what I've seen from videos and, and on Twitter and stuff. But I will say one thing. Obviously, losing... I heard that... Bat, I listened to the uh, the D3, D4 podcast and the guy on there is a massive Oxford fan. And he was going on about... Uh, Baptiste about how he's going to be he'll, apparently he was phenomenal for him so for them to lose him that's obviously a massive loss but then uh, didn't they get absolutely they got walloped at Peterborough didn't they six six something or they got they actually got demolished at Peterborough so they have got a they have got you know the, the ability to get get spanked in them if, if you if you play the right way against them. I know that's against Peterborough and they've got a hell of a strike force but um, but yeah, going back to that, that Holland, he, he scored a goal against, I think it was Newcastle, where it was a, a really good volley, kind of in the last minute of the game. Yeah, uh, wait, yeah is, is, Nathan, is yeah. Nathan Holland even definitely fit? I, I, I thought he got injured a few weeks. Like he got uh, in the, their last game of the season against Shrewsbury. Uh, he went off with a hamstring injury and got sent back to West Ham. So I'm not even convinced he's fit to play. I could be wrong on that. Um, well, that'd be a blessing if it is. I'm. I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure he's going to be there to play. I'm. Uh, well, I'm just. I'm doing a bit of research now. I'll get back to you. Cool. But, um, nice one. Just. Just. Twi- just Twitter stalking as we speak. Um, the reply. The replies make it look like he's not fit, mate. So. The replies are: Do you fancy coming back for the next few weeks? You're a big part of this story. We wish you were fit. If only you weren't injured, Nathan. That so yeah, like it, looks, it looks like he might not be fit. Yeah, he he scored a he scored this volley against Newcastle. It was a bit of a screamer. That was the one where in the ninth uh, fourth minute, say Maximan then won it in extra time, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was just picturing the goal in my head. Yeah, it was really good strike first time from outside the box. Yeah, that was it. Nice. Well, if he's not playing, then I suppose you don't have to worry about him too much. But at the same time, <laughs> I thought it was worth worth mentioning. I don't know who else will play on that side. And if anyone does know, jump in. But that's, that's a bit of a loss for them, isn't it? After, obviously, Foss got quite a few goals for them as well last season. They, so got, um, they, got, they got Marcus is it Marcus Brown from on loan from Middlesbrough. Or I feel like he played from a few seasons ago, got loaned back to him this season. And he, he's quite, he was at West Ham. And he had a really good season for Oxford a few years ago, and he's really to be loaned back to them as well. And he, he's quite a dangerous player going forward. Um, that's probably another one I'd look out for. Nice one. 
Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I was just trying to think who would play instead there, but nice one, Sam, jumping in on that. Um, their form's actually was actually pretty good to finish the season, wasn't it? I'm just looking to double check. I was right. Yeah, they, they won, won their last they five games. Five in a row, yeah. yeah before losing 1-0 at home to Sunderland, before, the game before that. They were 2-0 um, down against Shrewsbury in their last game, weren't they? And they came back to win 3-2, didn't they? Or something like that. Shrewsbury had a player sent off, didn't they, in that game? That was it, yeah. They were 2-0 yeah. down. And then... Whatever. Take that, Shrewsbury. Rubbish club. Um, yeah, that's it, really. I can't think. Is there anything else we haven't covered you want to talk about, really? Because we're going to be talking about this anyway for the next coming weeks, aren't we? So I don't want to overdo it, really. Is there anything uh, I've missed that I wants to get involved in? Um, I've got one just question for everyone here. I've written down. Like, I don't. I, I, I'm. I'm probably going to say, but I honestly think these, the next two to three games, are the most important games we've had in nearly ten years. Given that the opportunity there is to get back to the championship, where this club should be, and I'm just looking. I've written a list of the clubs that could be in League One next season, and in the most honest opinion, I don't fancy it at all. Um, so and I honestly think that the championship next season will be a much more affordable task as opposed to it will be it, it, the kind of the, the challenge it usually is to get in there and stay in there. I think there'll be less spending next season. I'm just wondering what you guys think in the sense that like we've got the teams coming down into League One. I think it's going to be a nightmare getting out of it next year with Barnsley, Luton, Charlton, Wickham, Wigan, Sunderland, Ipswich and Peterborough, just to name. That's just off the top of my head. I just feel it's going to be a very tough task to get out of League One next season. I'm just trying to emphasise the kind of the importance of these two games for the kind of the next few years for the future of the club. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with you, mate. If you look look at the teams that you've just listed there, coming into the top two out of that is going to require um, consistent well, performances over 44 or 46 games, whatever it is next year. That it's a level of consistency that we've not really seen with Pompey, home and away combined for a while. Um, I mean, this time last year, I was saying that, yeah, the next potentially three games are the most important for however many years. And I think this year, even more so. I mean, we don't know yet what, what's going to be the situation with salary caps, etc. And and the effect that all of this is going to have on on player fees. So when we chat to Mark Catlin a few, what, however many weeks ago it was, he was saying that he thinks that there's going to be an even bigger disparity between the Premier League and then Champ League One, League Two, because of the financial penalties of all of this. So it'll be really interesting, objectively, to see what happens next year. Because you look at the teams that went up from League One this, last year. I mean, Luton looked in, insanely good last year in League One. Charlton Barnsley, again, were really strong teams who have both, well, they've all just really struggled in the Championship. Um, and whether that's because of difficulties recruiting or whatever, it's going to be interesting to see whether that's the same this year or whether or not this actually makes it an easier step up because of potential salary caps in the division above. But I think, yeah, this realistically, this is the best chance we're going to have for at least, or definitely better chance than next year, you'd imagine, and potentially the year after that. It's the most important few games I can remember, for sure. Yeah, you think when we started this season and when we got a few games in, you did think that this league, this season was had less high quality teams on the pitch than it did last year um and in kind of like you listed Sam those teams if you go to next year I don't think Sunderland are going to be as bad as they were this year definitely uh, not 
I don't think Peterborough will. They might lose Tony, but I think they might still improve. They're, de- they're, de- they're definitely losing Tony. You know, the it's coming to Pompey, all, mate, of those, <laughs> all of those other teams that you mentioned. You know, teams like Plymouth and stuff coming up from League Two. Uh, they'll be they'll be a good team in League One. Wigan, think, uh, yeah, Wigan. All all of these other teams, right? So you you could probably see next year being a really really high quality League One. And this year being a slightly less high quality, we said at the start, well, during the season, that this is a real chance to uh, capitalise on that and get ourselves into the championship. Um, But I think also people say typical Pompey, you know, we've never won a playoff game in our history. right? But if I can see us winning it when there's no fans there, we can't celebrate it because that also would be, you know, quite pompy yeah I saw saw on Twitter I can't remember who it was on Twitter said it would be the most pompy thing ever to go up have a season in the championship where we can't even go to half the games and then get like 15 games at the end of the season and then come back down again just in time to be able to go back to Pratt and (laughs) Pike it would be so on brand like uh, it might be in Pompey Pedro or I just said that potentially I can't remember but it would be very, very pompy, wouldn't it? But like, you look at the other teams in the playoffs. That's the other thing. Like, if at the start of the season, if you look at all the teams in League One and you said, okay, Pompey are going to be in the playoffs, end of the season, guaranteed. Which teams do you want to avoid, or do you not want to have to play? And again, maybe we will win the playoffs, maybe we won't. But on paper, the teams I'd have said I don't want to turn up against them in the playoffs would be Sunderland, Ipswich, Peterborough, and they're the three yeah. that have missed out because of points per game. Agreed. So. The, the the scene set that you know it's it's completely in the players' hands now, and the situation is realistically as good as it was going to get, and they've just got to take the chance and have a massive 180 minutes in the semi final, and then anything can happen in in the final of the playoffs as we've seen last year with Sunderland and uh, and Charlton. You know anything can happen in the last 30 seconds of that game. So yeah, it's I, in their hands. I will, say, I will say one quick point as well. We mentioned the quality of the league, like. At the start of the season, I'm, I think we all looked at this league. I know it's kind of echoing what Rob said, but we've all looked at this league at the start of the season and thought it was really there for the taking just because the, the calibre of sides. And I'm not having a dig at Coventry City here. I've had a few issues with their fans on Twitter this season and they've kind of been all on to me. But hey. I, I don't know, did any of you go to the away game at St Andrews? No, it was in no, midweek, wasn't it? it was, yeah. I, watched, I watched it on uh, iFollow. Yeah, so, so oh. I, I, I went up there and... The, obviously they got their last minute winner Godden always scores against us he scored but for the majority of that game I just thought it was a very poor game between two poor sides and if any, uh, and Pompey could have nicked it and that was it Coventry didn't like really scoring we didn't like scoring we started the second half it better but they've won the league and that, like, and that kind of just shows that the calibre of the league I, I honestly didn't think they were very good was, they've deserved promotion they, they put a good run form well put a good run of form together at a good time but from what I saw of them, compared to Wigan that won the league, compared to Barnsley that went up, compared to Blackburn, compared to Luton, compared to Charlton, these sides that have gone up in recent years, it just really shows that the standard of this league that it is now. And, and oh, fair play to Coventry, but from what I saw, especially at Rotherham as well, we beat Rotherham. And they yeah. both up automatically. So it does show that the league this year was really there for the taking. Um, and it, this opportunity now we, we've got to take. Otherwise, I really do fear that we're going to be a League One club for this like kind of just limbo like Sheffield United were for a few years 
Um, and this opportunity can't go, can't, it, the, that, the, it's got to be, every Pompey fan should know how massive this is and it has to be taken in my opinion. Well, one thing that is great though is that it's so great to be back talking football and talking Pompey again after, you know, with with an actual game ahead of us with I know, not a fixed date yet, but, you know, not, not that far away. Uh, and I'm sure I'll only get more excited in the weeks coming week to it. Yeah, no, exactly, Rob. And we're going to have lots more content coming. We're going to try and get some different guests from uh, various different pods and stuff on the show. So we've got that to look forward to. But I think... I think that's it, guys. I think we're going to finish it there. We're nearly at an hour now. So, um, Sam, Rob and Andy, thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, as always. Um, No worries, mate. I like that. I should have gone one at a time, shouldn't I? I just got this wave of noise. Rob, cheers, mate. We'll just go to Andy. Cheers, Andy. Go well, mate. Take it easy. (laughs) Stay well. And thanks, Sam, as well, mate. You have been have listening to the PO4 Podcast for Pompey News Blair Now, Pompey. available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO4 Cast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle. <laughs>